Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps com- commentator, writer of the Stockopedia small cap value reports for the last 11 years with Graham Neary, my co-writer. So, uh, yeah, I'm recording this on Friday, the 27th of October, 2023. I'm doing it a, a, a day early because I'm off for a non-dirty weekend in Brighton with the family this weekend. So uh, we're doing, uh, it was my brother's idea, actually, he booked an Airbnb and nieces and nephews, me and my mum, we're uh, we're congregating in this Airbnb near Preston Park in Brighton, um, where my niece lives, and we're just going to have a a nice weekend chilling out with the family. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hence, I don't really want to be uh, having to spend time recording a, a webcast when I'm doing family stuff. So this is why I'm doing it a day early. Now, obviously, it's been another really, really difficult week on the markets. It, I, I, I do think we're nearing the end of the um, of the bear market. I know I've been saying this for ages, but, you know, I can't time the market. I don't know who's going to be buying or selling or why. Nobody fills in a form to say why they're selling, are they? But it's very obvious, I think, we're, we're sort of getting into a late-stage uh, bear market on small caps where you've got capitulation selling, I think, for people who are just giving up. And we're seeing some of that in um, comments on bulletin boards in, you know, a lot of the some of the Stockopedia readers are saying how difficult they're finding it. We all are. I think all of us are, are seeing this daily grind on numerous stocks that we're holding that we thought were good shares, things that we've analysed, where the trading updates are positive, the valuations are attractive, but they just keep falling. And you do start to question your own judgment, don't you? This is all part of the sort of um, negative psychology of a bear market. And it's horrible. You know, it's very difficult. So I like it when readers vent a bit in the reader comments and just say how tough they're finding it. And I don't like it when they vent at me. <laughs> but thankfully, we've had very little of that lately. I normally expect that in, in a bear market. People um, attack me on ADVFN every now and again. But um, anyway, I won't get into that because it's too negative. I want this to be a, a more positive podcast because last week it was a bit too moany. So um, so basically, we're there to uh, listen to you and to... Uh, give you a bit of encouragement, a bit of positive energy in the reader comments of the small cap value reports. So, you know, if you're finding it tough, tell us about it. And we had uh, a couple of readers do that this week. And then a lot of readers responded with their own uh, comments. And none of this was prompted by me. This was just spontaneous. And uh, I saw there was a post today from somebody saying they'd really found the comments and the encouragement from people yesterday uh, very, very helpful. So, yeah, mental health, you know, that was a phrase that didn't exist when we were kids, did it? But it does now. And actually, I think it's quite good that we're more open as a society rather than bottling these things up. So problem shared is a problem halved and all that. So, uh, yes, we'll stick together. We'll support each other. And, you know, we'll soon be in a bull market. You know, I don't I shouldn't say soon because I don't know when. But we you know, this all it's we'll be looking back at the prices that are available now and thinking, God, that was so obvious. Why was I sitting on the sidelines terrified in cash? Not that I am. I'm fully invested all the time because, you know, the market's offering you a price every day for your shares. So the way I look at it is I've researched these shares in a lot of detail that are in my portfolio and I think they're all super cheap. So why on earth would I sell them? I just say to Mr. Market, no, thanks. You know, I think that price is is rubbish. So there's no question of me selling um, to you. And I think when you keep your mind on in in that sort of frame, 
it, it definitely helps, but it depends on your strategy. If you're one of these people who's ducking and diving in and out of things, then you need a different strategy, don't you? But for me, you know, I get grumpy and I get fed up with um, a bear market grinding down of my portfolio but you know you just deal with it and also actually my portfolio is not doing badly this year because I've had I think there are four takeover bids this year so you've got the that the, the different pulling in different directions haven't you we know the market's cheap because we can see it with all the all the data but the confirmation of that is that we're getting loads of takeover bids from not just from private equity and uh, investment management groups, but from trade buyers as well. So that is confirming that this market is cheap. It's not just me saying everything's cheap. We're getting an absolute um, deluge of takeover bids, which is confirming it. So I think let's keep focused on the facts and figures, ignore market sentiment. Yes, we know the Middle East is in a terrible mess and it's horrendous. Um, but um, again, let's stick to the facts and figures. And if you're not geared, you don't have to sell anything. And it would be a shame if people capitulate and sell up uh, at or near the lows, I think. And investing is tough. You know, if you're, you're in it, equity markets, every now and again, our portfolios get whacked. That's the way it works, isn't it? So, yeah, AIM has had another difficult week. Midcaps have as well. I won't go through all the details. It's just more of the same, isn't it? Markets are down again. But, you know, sentiment can turn on a dime. It really can. Once um, once people start, there's a lot of money on the sidelines, of course, because people are people are getting four, three, four, five percent on their cash, which is a very attractive proposition, which means you've got an absolute wall of cash on the sidelines waiting to come back into equities. That's why I don't want to be out of this market, because I think I've seen this all before. When confidence starts to return, you, which is often six months or so before the economy turns up, you get uh, a surprisingly strong and rapid um, start to a bull market. And if you're sitting on the sidelines, you miss it. So for those reasons, again, I, my view hasn't changed. I'm still bullish, but I look at things with a value uh, investor mindset and with a medium term outlook. So I, again, as I always say, I do not know what happens um, in the short term, but I'm loving all the bargains that this market is throwing at me. Right on to Monday, 23rd of October's report. We only looked at three companies. Bombshell of the day. Bombshell of the day was Mission Group at TMG. This dropped 59% to 14p. This is a marketing group. It's a group of an acquisitive group of uh, of, of mark, digital marketing companies mainly, I think. Now, it's key point of difference is they're not London-based, so they're sort of outside of London. Um, now, they got into severe trouble in the last big recession in 2008 uh, and almost went bust. Well, they've done the same thing again. Uh, it dropped 60, 59% to 14p on a disastrous trading update and revised outlook. The H2 weighting it, it was expecting has fallen far short of what they were expecting. But what's a, but it's still going to be profitable, it's saying, for 2023. But what really concerns me is the bank debt. It's absolutely shot up the net bank debt. Um, the bank is standing by them extending the facilities, but a covenant breach is expected in December 2023. So I've just said here, it's just now way too risky. Um, we did flag up um, in July, actually, that it had a weak balance sheet and too much debt. But what's particularly interesting with uh, Mission, used to be called the Mission Group, hence TMG, the ticker. What's interesting with Mission is that 
uh, the, the the net debts almost uh, more than doubled, I think, just suddenly in a few months. And what they're saying is, uh, this is a key point actually to flag up for other companies, is that they're saying customers are not so willing now to pay up front for things. Now, that's something we really need to think carefully about because, of course, now now companies are earning 3 4 5% interest on their cash piles compared with zero for the last 15 years. Behaviour is changing right across the board in ways that maybe we hadn't uh, thought about. I, I certainly hadn't considered this. So I think lots of companies where you get a big deferred income line on the balance sheet, which is the credit entries for cash received up from, from customers, you need to actually ask, is that, are the customers going to be so willing to pay up front? Um, and if they're not, it could mean that net debt, obviously net bank debt, takes up the strain, doesn't it? So I'm quite worried about that. So I think let's... And again, the tell with Mission Group, why I wouldn't have bought any myself and didn't, is negative net tangible assets on the balance sheet. Wherever you see that... If they can't keep all the plates spinning in terms of the working capital, because customers don't want to be lavish with upfront payments, you could be in real trouble. So double check those balance sheets again and again. This uh, it, It's not always obvious that a balance sheet could unravel. Uh, Graham looked at Northern Bear. There was a tender offer there to help the chairman exit, it seems, but it's being offered to everybody. Now, what was this one? Graham looked at Keller. This was a trading update from a specialist contractor. Um, now, it said full year operating profit set to be materially ahead at Keller, KLR. So that might be um, worth looking at, although Graham flags um, a P of only around six. That's quite good, isn't it? But he's saying here he thinks it's quite a low quality business but offering reasonable value and it does have some debt so of the shares on monday keller klr is probably the one to have a look at if you're um making a watch list for what things you want to pounce on when um when you when sentiment turns now on tuesday this was 24th of october 2023 quite a red letter day here if that i think that's the right phrase where i we got a, a takeover bid for scs the sofas company the ticket is Sierra Cosworth, <laughs> Sierra, no, sorry, no. that's a car, isn't it? I can't remember what C is. Anyway, um, what am I saying? Oh, yes, a recommended takeover bid at £2.80 for um, SCS, which is a very healthy premium, 66%. Um, you also get, well, it's two, £2.70 takeover bid plus 10p dividend. It's from an Italian trade buyer. I won't go into all the detail, but we've had a lot of discussion on Stockopedia about whether this is a reasonable, reasonably priced takeover bid or whether somebody else could come in and offer more. Now, uh, some of us spotted that none of the major shareholders have given irrevocable undertaking to back the deal, which is very unusual. Normally with takeover bids, you know, it says in the announcement that, you know, we have, and it often lists the institutions who back the deal. We couldn't, unless we missed it, none, none of us spotted that in this case, which makes it sound like shareholders don't want to commit to supporting the deal, maybe in the hope of getting something bigger. And the the very and we've been flagging up for years in on in the small cap value reports that somebody would come along and buy SCS. Why? Because its cash pile is almost the same as the market cap. 
Now, admittedly, you know, not all that cash is technically the company. Well, it is, actually. It is technically the company's, but it's favourable working capital cycle. So basically, they SCS gets paid for the sofas before it's paid the company, the companies, the suppliers who actually manufacture it. Um, and there are some deposits from customers up front and so on. But this is a permanently rotating situation, so the cash can be extracted, which is exactly what DFS has has done, um, permanently extracted the cash and paid it all out to shareholders and run up a ton of bank debt as well, DFS did. So I've been on about this for years, saying that somebody, a financial buyer, will come along, spot the opportunity with SCS and just buy it, basically using its own cash and a bit of a, a, a bit of a bank, a new bank facility. Well, anyway, it wasn't, as I say, it hasn't actually been a financial buyer. It's been a trade buyer. So it'll be very interesting how that pans out. My view is... Um, I think it's actually in the circumstances it's a good deal because you're getting an exit at within 10% of the uh, bull market high and given how bombed out market conditions are I think that's not a bad outcome and you can you're not going to get top draw for any company are you in a takeover bid in the current situation when markets are so bombed out and so depressed so but you can take the money and then you can put it in you can recycle it you've got 60 66% more money and you can recycle that into something else that's dirt cheap so you get a double benefit I think from banking the profits and moving on and then you'll get a, a you know a second benefit hopefully when the thing you bought with the money goes up and you've got so many more of them than you would otherwise be able to afford so yeah I think the SCS deal looks good to me but there's a chance a better deal might come along there's also a chance it might fall through because nobody's um, so far declared they're supporting it so in situations like this I often sell half but actually with SCS I, I, I did hold some personally but only a very small position because I was waiting for the next update to see what it was like before making a decision whether to go back to a, a big position so unfortunately I missed out out on a lot of the benefit of the takeover deal um, but never mind I think as much as anything it's nice to be proven right on the actual investment thesis as it is obviously we want to make some money as well but um, so that's two bids in the last fortnight because I had on the market dot um, com that was another of my uh, positions so all in all this year as I say in my real portfolio I've had four takeover bids and I think there'll be more than that in my watch list for 2023 which is also attracting quite a lot of bids and is way 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 outperforming the market now um so yeah all, all pretty good really um a lot of it's luck isn't it though i don't think you can claim when takeover bids happen that it's necessarily skill it's just uh, a lot of it's luck now here was another bombshell r and q insurance holdings down 52 percent to 24p now, I think this was the one where another one where Graham and I had a bit of a debate over what colour we should go. I think Graham wanted to go amber, and I said it just looks um, really, really bad, so I think it should be red. So we compromised on amber red, which is our sort of intermediate uh, position. Now, it dropped 52% to 24p. It's carried on dropping. It's now only 14p or 15p on Friday. Um, this is a very peculiar company. As Graham said, we just haven't got enough in information to value it. It's basically in, in financial trouble, R&Q was. It's had to sell off the best part of the business uh, in order to avoid insolvency. And quite a substantial transaction. Um, uh, well, what shareholders will then be left with is basically the dog ends, the loss-making part of the business. But as Graham said, you know, that part of the business they could 
turn it round and it could become successful. So we've just concluded we don't have enough information to really give a firm view either way on R&Q, but it looks very wobbly. Now, another bombshell, CAB Payments Holdings, CABP. This one is appalling. And, I mean, we had a lot of very good reader commentary from this. It floated in July at about 800 million market cap. It's now lost, I think, about nearly three quarters of its value since July. Um, anyway, it was down 60% to 86p on the day. This was a Q3 profit warning. Very vague. It, what does it do? It does, um, basically, it's one of these forex groups, but it does um, difficult to reach, as it calls it, countries, where, of course, it's got a network set up in those countries, like Nigeria, several other African countries, I believe. And it's businesses that are you know, making remittances back and forth to those countries from... Um, Europe and America, I think, mainly, and uh, all all perfectly legit as far as I can tell. But um, it's sort of, of course, it makes much higher margins the, uh, because it's in these countries where transactions are more difficult. Anyway, um, <clears throat> it didn't really tell us CAB payments. It didn't really tell us what the problems actually were. <laughs> Very vague update. Obligatory hiccup there. I don't do it deliberately. It's just a reflex. It just happens. I don't know why, because I never hiccup normally, only when recording podcasts. So anyway, um, yes, and it put out a positive outlook in September, and I looked at the interim results, and they look absolutely fine. So something's gone wrong. Some of the broker notes suggest they've run into regulatory uh, issues with some of these territories where author- authorizations have maybe been removed or, or so- something ba- really bad has gone on at CAB payments, but they're not being clear about what it what it will. But the company did say that the company that it remains highly profitable and cash generative. I have to admit to my shame, I caught this particular falling knife. I did, yeah. I read the interim results. It was a nice sunny day, I remember. So I sat out on my terrace here in Bournemouth at treetop level, soaked up a bit of sun, had a couple of small glasses of wine, and then I think I must have had a rush of blood to the head because I bought, with my punting money in my portfolio, I bought some CAB payments, and I've already incurred, I think, I put about 20 grand into it. I'm already four grand underwater. So, um... 20% down from when I bought, so that wasn't very clever, was it? But I'm going to stick with it, because actually uh, I looked at the balance sheet, and it's it's basically a bank. It's got got loads of liquid assets that it earns interest on, um, but the money belongs to the customers, so it's sort of money that's passing through. I think it, it, you know, it doesn't look like a zero or anywhere near a zero to me. So I think CABP... I don't know. It's just a punt. I think it might recover, but I'm certainly not suggesting anyone else buys it. I just fancied um, a flutter on it, and so far I've got a rather bloodied nose on it. But never mind. That's why you make punts. Your punting positions are just relatively small amounts of money. Next, we had another bombshell, FD Technologies. Now, this was a nightmare. I had to spend about three hours trying to work out what the hell it did. Oh, God, it was, that was a, I had to have a lie down after Tuesday's report. I did. And Graham was so frazzled looking at CABP, he couldn't do a pod, He couldn't do his YouTube show. So <laughs> the things we go through to uh, report on the small cap bombshells each day. Anyway, FD Technologies, um, it's not my cup of tea, basically. Uh, read, read Tuesday's report for all the detail. I'm not going to go through it now. Um, it's just, um, yeah, it's it's one of these sort of um, 
saying that it's all marvellous growth companies, but when you dig into the numbers, the division's main... It's only got one profitable division, and the other two bits are losing money. They're cranking up the headcount even further. Anyway, it dropped FD, FDP. It dropped 40% on the day to £7.88 on its interim results. Didn't impress me at all, I'm afraid. Weak balance sheet. It says customers are being more cautious. Oh, it's got this consultancy thing, that's it. Going on and on and on about AI... And you just don't know, do you? Are companies using this uh, as a sort of PR stunt to claim that they're they're closely involved in AI? Um, it's the latest buzzword, isn't it? And you don't know how... I'd, I'm not able to judge how genuine commentary about AI actually is or isn't. But anyway, look, weak balance sheet, customer caution, negative cash flow. So I'm not interested in FDP at all. But it's one of these things that's in a fashionable area. So... It could it could get a bid from the Americans who pay big money for these type of fashionable companies, don't they? Yes, here we are on, uh, what's this now, Wednesday 25th of October. We looked at four or five companies here. Some good news, Oxford Metrics with a lovely ticket OMG. Oh my God. Now this uh, put out a ahead of expectations trading update. The main thing about OMG is it, uh, it is its huge cash pile, which makes up about, I think, 60% of the market cap from an amazing um, disposal it did. God knows how they got such a high price for it. They sold off part of the business that didn't really look like it was worth anything, and they got about 50 or 60 million quid for it. Quite amazing. That was a while back now. But anyway, uh, it says here that it's trading well. Um, about 9% ahead of um, expectations in terms of profitability. Very clear guidance provided by the company. I really like this company. I think OMG is very good. Um, yeah, I did point out, though, about half the profit might have been coming from interest income on the cash pile. Um, and we had a good discussion about this in the reader comments, actually. Uh, that was very interesting. Where the readers came up with some excellent um, additional points so very, very interesting, that one, I think. Uh, it had dropped back a lot because of, I think, people were worrying about read across from, what was the name of the big company that does specialist cameras that warned on profits? Ah, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember it now. But anyway, so OMG shares had dropped by about a third from their peak at pound twenty down to about 82p. But it bounced nicely on the day. But the trouble is, at the moment, whenever um, shares rise on good news... More often than not, this triggers sellers who are just desperate for liquidity. This is your institutions who, of course, are getting redemptions. So they have, they're forced sellers, a lot of institutions are at the moment. We're seeing so much evidence of that. And I think, um, I think that's the main reason a lot of shares um, bounce on the initial good news when good news does come out and then just go soft again and... and um, I mentioned this in last week's podcast as well, I remember. So I think that's quite good in a way, because it means we don't have to rush to buy anything. If it spikes up 10 or 15% on good news, just sit and wait. A week or two later, you can probably buy it back at the original price. Not with everything, though. Some It's, it's just so random. You can't tell which shares will shoot up and stay there and which shares will shoot up and come back down again. It's so difficult, isn't it? But, you know, you can't judge all these things. If it's a good company, it's fundamentally decent value. I just buy them and hold them. And sooner or later you make money. Now, this was another interesting one that was surprised on the upside, IG Design. This is the um, Christmas uh, wrapping paper, uh, greetings cards, um, very considerable group with about nearly a billion dollar revenues. It's international. 
um, doesn't have any pricing power. That's its perennial problem. Any, and, and, and it got absolutely smashed to bits during the um, pandemic and the energy crisis, where it had all sorts of logistical problems, which, of course, if you're selling things for Christmas, you can't afford to have logistical problems. You've got to get that stock into your retailers in October, November, because by, by the 24th of December, it's worth nothing. That's the thing, isn't it, with gift wrap and stuff like that. So they had to absorb a lot of extra temporary warehousing workers and transport costs last year. So there could be good upside as things sort of gradually normalise on there. Anyway, I've been quite sceptical on IG Design, IGR, but I have to say I'm a lot more positive on it now. It put out an inline trading update that Graham covered. I think we're getting the first signs now that the bull case of improving, restoring its operating margins might be starting to work. So I would say... Have a look at that one. Let me know what you think. It's not the best business. It's a low-quality business with low margins. They'll never get margins up beyond about 4 or 5%, because all the time I've followed it for donkey's years, it's been the story has been we're going to improve margins. But then when, when, when all the, the supply chain problems hit, they got absolutely whacked on numerous fronts. But I do think, well, it's also cost-cutting now and doing pricing initiatives, so I think fixed-price contract They weren't able to pass on the additional costs, you see. All their contracts were set up at fixed costs, which meant they had to absorb all these extra costs internally. Uh, so, But that all seems to be washing through now, and it does have a big issue with debt, but the debt is only seasonal. The nice thing about IG Design is that actually they do pay off the debt, after Christmas, and it goes, I think it goes cash positive even. And it does have a strong balance sheet overall, uh, but it has a large seasonal borrowing requirement. And I think, but banks like lending for seasonal borrow, borrowing requirements because they know they're not going to get a bad debt. So I think IG Design's looking a lot more positive now. So take a look at that with fresh eyes, I would suggest. Not one I hold personally. Uh, it's not really the type of thing I would particularly want to invest in, but I'm much more convinced by the bull case than I was a few months ago. Because when the facts improve, we improve our view of it. Right, Graham looked at Franchise Brands. Um, quite an interesting company. Trading update. This is, uh, as the name suggests, this this uh, does sort of buy and build of franchising companies. Um, and, yeah, it looks quite interesting, we think. So... Um, Graham's neutral on it, though, because it did take out a lot of debt to make an acquisition. So, of course, higher interest rates are now costing it a lot more in interest payments. So that's worth considering. Now, I looked at another mini bombshell. Well, it wasn't really a bombshell, actually. RWS Holdings. This is the patent translation business. Not really entirely sure what it does. But anyway, it dropped 17% to £1.97 on a poorly received year-end trading update. But I've I've been green on this all year because it's mainly on valuation terms. The, the profit warnings have not been severe at all. They've been mild profit warnings and the valuation just gets cheaper and cheaper. It makes high margins. It's got a decent balance sheet with net cash. So... Although it's difficult to maintain a green uh, view of something on the, the Stockopedia reports, you know, I, look, I looked at it because there are explanatory notes, say, trading well, and obviously it isn't trading particularly well. Its performance is disappointing slightly. But I think the, 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 when the valuation gets really, really cheap, that overrides 
um, those other considerations, I think, which is why I stayed green on RWS. Very nice dividends there, which look sustainable. And it's doing uh, buybacks as well. Sorry, that's the 11.30 alarm to say Graham's about to start his, his YouTube show. I haven't got time to watch it today, unfortunately. They're really good. Do watch Graham's show. He only gets about 12 people watching live, but then the same link takes you to a recording of it, so you can listen to it any time. They're very good. He's a very good natural broadcaster, I think. And um, Although I'd like uh, it would be better if he shared his screen and you could see the Stockopedia uh, uh, stock report while he's talking, but I'm, I'm not sure he's... Um, rigged that up yet. Anyway, going back to RWS, yeah, down 17% to £1.97. It's quite substantial. £750 million market cap. Uh, big question mark, as I've mentioned loads of times before, is AI going to be positive for them or bad or negative for them? Now, they did a teach-in, that horrible phrase, um, some quite recently about what it was doing on AI. <coughs> so my thinking is, if a company actually you know, uh, holds an event to showcase what it's doing on AI, then that's probably more than just window dressing, isn't it? There could be something in it. So, I'm yeah, I'm stubbornly sticking with RWS. I think the valuation um, factors are are very appealing, and it's still a highly profitable, highly cash-generated business, regardless of the fact that the shares have tanked. Right, on to Thursday, 26th of October. This was um, a mini catch-up day. I did two items from the previous day, which was to look at the SCS again. Um, Results came out. And actually, several people have flagged to me recently that you often find that takeover bids come out just around the time, sometimes before, sometimes after, um, results announcements. And one of my friends was actually very clever. I think this was Francis. When SCS announced that they were going to delay their uh, audit results by two weeks, he worked out from the wording of that, I don't know how he did it, but he somehow worked out from the wording of the statement, he deduced from that that they could be in takeover talks. Wasn't that clever? I must go back and look at that, actually. I wish I'd spotted that. Um, But no, well done, Francis. That was a really, really good insight. Um, <clears throat> although he did, t- he did, he only told us after the event. Uh, <laughs> right, and what else? Um, yeah, so with the SCS results, this is for year ending July 2023. The way I approached it, obviously, we want to compare the results. How would the market have reacted? I think the shares would have dropped. They were about £1.60 before the takeover approach at £2.70. I said here, I think because uh, SCS reported that current trading is slowing down in the Outlook comments, it said it had a difficult October for order intake. I think the shares would have dropped down to about £1.50. Now, you've got to compare that with a takeover bid at £2.70. So what does that work out at Um one pound. It's a substantial premium, isn't it? Very substantial premium in for the takeover bid. So that made me overall take a view that I think actually the two pound seventy plus ten p divvy uh, takeover bid is fair, is reasonably fair. Now you might get a higher bid, hopefully, but uh, you know, do you want to risk it falling through? I I don't know. Personally, um, I, I think I would have uh, well. I've got such a small position in it, unfortunately. I haven't sold any. I think I've still got those. But it doesn't really matter what I've done because it's immaterial. Uh, Anyway, oh, Volex. Now, this is another one I like. A long-standing position of mine. Very, very good turnaround. The electrical 
wiring business. There's been a fantastic turnaround under Nat Rothschild, who's done a brilliant job on it. Um, now, uh, the shares keep slipping back on Volex. It's 517 million market cap, so quite a significant size business. The shares keep dropping back because everyone thinks, oh, it's only a matter of time before a profit warning. But every time it puts out trading, they're in line with expectations and pretty upbeat. I thought this was a good update, you know, just the tone of it and putting together the various bits. And I think Volex has a track record of telling it how it is. So I believe they're trading updates. And they're basically saying they are seeing some customer destocking in some areas because customers stocked up in many, many parts of the world and in all sorts of different sectors. When supply chains were very disrupted, customers tended to stock up to make sure they could service their customers if future orders were delayed you know, for incoming parts and materials and so on, which, of course, makes the shortages and the supply chain problems worse, doesn't it? It's like everyone panicked buying toilet paper in the pandemic. Um, you know, if everybody just acts sensibly and doesn't panic buy, then any supply chain shortages just quickly resolve themselves. Anyway, um, we're now seeing the reversal of this panic buying uh, in industry as customers are seeing supply chains normalise their destocking but they can safely run on lower inventory levels which as a supplier of course volex is saying has has been a bit of a negative for them uh, but that's been offset by good growth in other parts of the business so i like the fact that volex has this very diversified business mix i think there's lots to like here it's a it's got a very successful strategy they've got the operating margins up to about nine or ten percent uh, they're lower cost, lowest cost producers of many uh, specialist parts in places like Turkey. They've do, done two really good acquisitions in Turkey, including a large one recently, um, <clears throat> which is also going to enhance the margins. And they seem to sort of court acquisition targets for a long period of time, getting to know the management, getting to know the business. You know, these are not impulse buyers that are going to go wrong. They know the businesses they buy inside out. And they're not diversifying into sectors they don't understand. They're buying businesses they know and know very, very well. And they're paying um, fair, you know, modest, fairly modest prices, often for retirement sales for the vendors. Now, the forward PE on Volex is only about 10. It does have some debt, but not a problem amount. I think this is a, a lovely share to just buy and hold. You know, medium term will do really well on that one, I think, uh, unless something goes wrong, of course. Graham looked at international personal finance. He quite likes that. A specialist lender, to consumer lender. Sounds very obscure in a way, what it's doing. But, um, yeah, the figures the figures that Graham looked at look pretty good on IPF, international personal finance. What next? Bloomsbury Publishing. Everyone seems to like this one. BMY. Uh, this was interim results that were in line. The Harry Potter publisher, amongst other things. Do you know, I don't think anyone's ever been able to answer my question, how much of its profit comes from the Harry Potter franchise. No, I don't, I don't think anybody knows, which does worry me a bit, um, because I don't know what the contractual terms are. And, you know, if J.K. Rowling wanted to wanted to, to move on to another publisher. So all I'd say at Bloomsbury Publishing, make sure you're very, very careful with your um, woke public comments because you don't want to upset jk rowling who's a staunch feminist and a woman i greatly admire who's been wrongly demonized by idiotic people uh who've misquoted her and maligned her totally unfairly she's a national hero jk rowling is and i think the world is beginning to wake up to that at long last 
which is great. And now, our Gentex Holdings, uh, oh yes, AGFX. Now, Graham normally looks at this one, but I looked at this. It's one of these FX companies, foreign exchange companies, that have all had a, a bonanza in the last couple of years. Um, I've said here, I don't feel I can really sort the wheat from the chaff in this sector. They all claim to have market-leading um, technology platforms. They've all shown good growth. Well, anyway, Argentix is wobbling a bit. It dropped 22%, which actually it dropped 30% first thing, and it gradually recovered to 22%, to 75p, which is almost half what it had been um, only six or seven months ago. So the issue was that the CEO uh, left abruptly. Now, the CEO must have been one of the founders because he holds 12%. Um, Markets don't like it when a founder CEO just suddenly up sticks and leaves uh, without notice. So there's obviously been some kind of big bust up there. And they've got a, somebody who worked as a consultant for Argentix is immediately taking over as CEO and doing a strategy review. Some of the readers were discussing this and saying that the existing CFO, uh, CEO was spending freely, was increasing headcount a lot, was talking about opening offices in new countries and so on. But it seems that the rest of the board wanted, uh, possibly wanted a more digitally focused approach and i have to say the credentials of the guy who's taken over i haven't got it in front of me what his name is do look very impressive so but there is then the overhang of what sorry the question of what happens with a potential 12 percent overhang although you know given the share price is 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 low has gone down why would the founder ceo sell his shares i don't know i'm speculating but um i just couldn't decide on argentex um i'm i've just i've just um said i'm i'm amber on it you know it's not the fx sector all these different companies and payments companies just not areas i want to invest in because i i don't feel i've got any got the expertise to be able to pick the winners you know right on to today friday 27th of october uh i only covered four companies today i'm not going to have time to look at XP power I'd, i would have liked to look at that that's another one that absolutely crashed um, on a profit warning not long ago. Really, really. We've always thought that was a really decent, high-quality company, but it seems to have borrowed too much money and hit a downturn in demand, which has killed the share price. But there are, there are signs now that that might be re- starting to recover. Um, let me just call up the stock report. XPP is the ticker. XP Power. I think it's based in Singapore, isn't it? Never really been sure what the products actually do. It's something to do to do with... Uh, power converter solutions, some sort of electrical power electronics. Um, don't really understand it. I can see the broker forecast graph has been just in steady, considerable decline now for a long time. Um, so, yeah, it's it's run into considerable problems by the looks of it. But um, anyway, the sh- so the shares, which had been about £23, £24 a share, bottomed out at about £7. 70 a share so what's that i mean that's that's about a two-thirds drop isn't it and it happened vertically over literally mainly in one day but then continued falling well anyway it's found buyers now and in the last what's that the last two weeks or so two to three weeks it's uh yeah three weeks it does seem to have found some buyers and it's now 10 pounds 78 so it's well up from the low so well done to anyone who caught that as a trade 
Uh, forget the dividend yield of forecast of 9%, because I, don't, I doubt that will happen, given that I think it needs to focus on debt reduction. But um, anyway, it's up 7% today on a trading update, which I've not had time to look at, I'm afraid. Ones I have looked at. Now, Renewi, RWI, this is the recycling company, mainly in Europe. This put out a, um, <clears throat> or rather, Macquarie, the um, investing giant, fund put out an announcement yesterday saying it again it had been constantly rebuffed by Renewy management it indicated previously uh, uh, Macquarie did that it would be prepared to pay £7.75 for Renewy anyway uh, the Macquarie's now walked away just saying they the management keep turning them down so the share price has dropped 18% yesterday to £5.40 let's see where it is now which is 30% below the bid and, and Macquarie here do hint that they were they might have even proposed a little bit more. It's bounced 3.5% today. I think if I were a shareholder there, I wouldn't be very happy about this. Um, it's all very well management turning away um, a takeover bid, but I think they need to explain why. I mean, they, well, they did. They just said, oh, it significantly underprices us. Well, if that's the case, why does the stock market value it 30% below the proposed takeover price? You know, I actually thought it was quite a generous offer. But anyway, there we are, Renewy shareholders. Just shows, doesn't it, when tentative, mooted bids are announced, it's often better to sell some or all of them uh, because quite a few of them do fall through, which this one has. What else? Oh, Fire Angel Safety, F-A dot. Uh, very appropriate ticker. Um, it used to be a really nice company called Sprue Aegis, I remember holding them when they were about £3 a share, and we all thought it was marvellous. Well, it's absolutely had a disastrous multi-year run of terrible performance, and shares were close to zero. They were only about 2.6 or 3p or something. Anyway, it's, it's received a recommended takeover bid today from an existing shareholder from Singapore with 17.5%, uh, 252% premium. Mind you, as we all know, 252% of F all is still F all. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's just F all and a bit, isn't it? Anyway, there we are. Cracking deal. Very, very lucky escape for shareholders, I think. So that'll almost certainly go through. And it'll delist, delist and one rubbish company less for me to have to w waste my time reporting on. So that's that. Uh Safe style, very much in the same vein as we've been. We've been negative on this for nearly a year, telling people that it was going down the pan. Well, it has. It's been suspended today. This is a double glazing thing. Uh, <clears throat> serial uh, underperformer. It was. It was obvious. It was heading for zero, which we've said, as I say, for months now in the small cap value reports. They've not been able to find a white knight, so they've now suspended the shares, saying unlikely to be any return for shareholders. So game over, I'm afraid. That's that. So two fewer microcaps for us to worry about. I'm, I, you know, I know it's sad when companies go under, but the assets are always sold to someone else. It's only equity that's wiped out. It's not the actual business, usually. So um, it's very sad for shareholders, but, you know, caveat emptor. We can all read the accounts and see the warning signs long before companies go bust. So, um, you know, if we didn't sell, that was down to our own decision-making, wasn't it? Now, I looked at Strix, uh, the kettle controls thing, K-E-T-L. It says it's corporate update, a sudden departure of the CFO, but although it says it was planned, I haven't seen any evidence it was planned. She's left immediately, but doesn't seem to have spooked the market. Uh, but also it says that it's got a... Uh, relaxation of the September banking covenant 
Um, I've been through it all again this morning. I'm very, I'm, I'm really, I don't like this one at all. It's got way too much debt, a badly negative balance sheet. And if you look at what they've done over the years, they've squandered a lot of cash, which they borrowed to pay big dividends and then dubious acquisitions and a lot of capex. So a lot of money's flowed out of the company, tens of millions, for things that don't really seem to have been a, of, of any benefit to shareholders, which, given the close connection with China, does raise eyebrows, I think. So, yeah, I'm maintaining my red opinion on Strix, but good luck to, to people holding it. As I say, you know, I hope it works out for you. Right, that's it. I've got to sign off now because I've got to galvanise myself, pack an overnight case and get ready to pick up Mum from the other side of Bournemouth. She's on the posh side, on the west side. I'm on the east side. <laughs> Sound like Ali G, don't I, talking about stains. Um, but anyway, there we are. So have a lovely weekend and let's hope we get a, a glimmer of sunshine. And I will see you bright and bushy-tailed on Monday morning um, in the Small Cap Valley Reports. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for all your brilliant comments. We're still getting fantastic uh, debates in the reader comments, despite uh, half of us being very depressed. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's still a lot to, to discuss and pro- future profits to look forward to from these types of valuations, uh, you know, but it's it's probably a bumpy road till we get there, isn't it? All right, then, I'll sign off. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.